Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses to week two of our series entitled When Life Hurts. Come on, can we just welcome all the campuses joining us right now? So excited to have all of you guys. We are in a six-week series uh, all the way through Lent leading up to Easter uh, in a series entitled When Life Hurts. We're looking at the seven last statements that Jesus made dying on the cross and the importance of these statements in our lives personally. I do want to mention to all of you, uh, we do have times for Easter. A lot of people have been asking about, uh, are we going to have Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night? When when are the services on Sunday morning? I know a lot of people are planning uh, for that. So you can go online and check that out. Last week, we looked at the first statement that Jesus made, a statement that brought assurance to the heart of one of the criminals that were dying next to him. We're looking at the statements of Jesus, these powerful statements. There's something about the last things that somebody says before they pass from from this life to the next, the importance of those. We have here at Church of the King something that uh, we call it, and by the way, Christians around the world call it, a Good Friday service. We have it actually at 6 o'clock in the morning, our Good Friday service. And I, I want to note something. That day is only called good for us. For the people of God that were the benefactors of what Christ did on the cross for us. But let me tell you who it wasn't good for. It wasn't good for Jesus. In his humanity, let me tell you something. In his humanity, that was the most painful experience he could, matter of fact, any human being ever experienced. And yet we call it good because of the forgiveness of sins that were procured for for us. But for Jesus, let me tell you something. That was a very bad day. You ever had one of those days where you woke up? I know I've had them. The first 30 minutes, the first hour, it's like, whoa, I wasn't expecting this. And almost to suggest, you'd say, you know what, let, let, let me go back to bed and let me try over. <laughs> let, let, me, let, me, let me start this, this thing again. I've had a day like that before. I've had a day where I thought, my gosh. Or how about this one, where, where, where you woke up and you thought, this thought went through your mind. And it became somewhat of a little silent prayer or a little low prayer where you said, God, please don't let today be like Yesterday. I, I can't have another one of those days. No way, God. Not like yesterday. If there's anyone in Scripture that can relate to having a bad day, if there's anyone in Scripture that can relate to how to deal with and grapple with life when it's not going the way that we anticipated, it's, it's Jesus, our Lord. And We learned last week in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says that he has been an example for us, that he is one that has gone gone before us. Today, I want to talk to you about the second statement that Jesus made from the cross. I'm going to be looking, by the way, at different gospels through this series. This week, it's in John chapter 19. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to John chapter 19, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, It's actually the fourth gospel. Uh, in the New Testament. And today I want to look at the words that Jesus spoke dying on the cross to some very intimate and dear people. John chapter 19, verse 25 to 27. Here's what the Bible says. Near, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, 
Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and, listen to this, this is important, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Now, I just want to give a little bit of an aside here. It's kind of how my brain works. In, in a previous service, uh, actually last night, I was, I was reading this and it just kind of amused me. Remember, who wrote the Gospel of John? It is John the beloved, John the apostle. So it's interesting. I understand scripture is inspired by God. And yet John, how I many you know John has a healthy self-image? <laughs> Look what John said about himself. When, the, when, when Jesus saw his mother and, by the way, me, loved deeply by Jesus. <laughs> it's just extra. You know, Church of the King, we throw in little extras. But anyway, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, he said to his mom, he looked at his mom, and here's what he said. Woman, here is your son. He's dying on the cross. And he looks at his mom. He says, woman, here, here is your son, pointing to John. And to the disciple, that's John. Here's your mother. The Bible says, and from that time on, this disciple took her, this disciple, John, took her, Mary, into his home. Let me give you a little bit of background into this. Let me give you the scene here. Jesus had been up all night. At this point, he had gone through three religious trials and three Roman trials. By the way, it is illegal, even in Bible times, for them to have trials at nighttime. We understand that just the, 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 the absolute, um, let me say this, the criminal nature of accusing, betraying, and then indicting somebody at nighttime where there's no defense. Uh, again, Thursday night, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. Here come the Roman soldiers. They bring him first to Caiaphas' house. The Jewish trial is happening. And then another trial, another trial. And, and then, by the way, in between the trials, he's whipped, he's beaten, he's scourged. He's scourged. What does it mean he's scourged? He's whipped, not just with a whip. But the Bible says it's a whip with a cat of nine tails. Well, what, what does that mean? It's a whip with actually nine little whips on the end of it. We know the Bible says he's whipped 30, 40 times minus one, 39. So write it 40 times. 40 times nine, there's 360 lashes on his back. So let me just tell you something. Jesus was dying way before he got to the cross. And yet, he's experiencing all of this brutality and he's being tried. He is being tortured. He's being whipped. He's being maligned. All of this. And there's only one disciple at the cross. When he's going through this. Where's his friends? Where, where are all the people that he dined with and he, and he ate with? And, and where are all the people that saw all the miracles of Jesus? He is having his worst day ever. And only one disciple's there, John. Now, I do want to note there are some ladies there. The Bible specifically tells us that his mom... Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there. Another Mary is there, Mary Magdalene. Another Mary is there, Mary of Clopas and Salome. Four women that we do know that knew Jesus and followed the ministry of Jesus. And yet, 
there was only one, one disciple. And in this, he looks at his mom and says to his mom, in his darkest hour, listen to me closely, in his darkest moment, he made a decision. He made a decision, watch this, that he was going to focus outward. He made a decision that even though he was going through the toughest time of his life, that he wasn't going to be a victim. I mean, he could have cursed everybody. But he made a decision that he was going to take his eyes off of himself and put it on his mom. Mom, hey mom, behold your son. Hey John, John, I want you to take, I I want you to be with mom. Take care of mom. Mom, take care of John. I, I want to I say to you guys today, because some of you guys are going through stuff, and look, it's all relative. Pain's relative. Isn't that right? Whether it's a financial situation, whether it's a situation where, where medically you've gotten a recent report, whether it's a family, a, a, a sibling, a, a child, a husband, a wife, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a professional situation. You went to work last week, you thought, my gosh, I thought everything's secure, and, and yet there's a change, and what about me, and where am I going to go, and what's going to happen? And all the attendant fears attached to that. What do you do? How do you respond in a situation like that? Well, we have a choice. We can just, we can just kind of curl up and die. Or, or, or we can learn from, from Jesus. We can learn from our Lord that, that in those moments, listen to me. In these moments, we look out. If you have your notes, as a matter of fact, I'm going to ask all of our campuses. I put notes in the bulletins. I'm going to ask you if you wouldn't mind taking those out so you can go along and fill in the blanks if if you'd like. And I'll give you a gold star if you do all the blanks right. But anyway, so I want to talk to you about how do I love when life hurts? What do I do when life is hurting? Number one, I focus on Jesus from the model of Jesus. I, I must, and I should have put the word continue. I write this out. I must continue to focus on caring for for my family, my physical family, my natural family. When when I'm hurting, when we're hurting, we must continue to care for our natural family. You you know what's unfortunate? It's, It's unfortunate that sometimes, listen to this, it's sometimes those in the professional realm get our best and our family gets our leftovers, don't they? I mean, we give it to, I mean, we're on our game in our job and I mean, we're executing, but, but, the, and, I, and I've had to learn this and we all, we all have to learn this, that, and, and that, that we don't give our best outside our home and give our leftovers inside our home, but we've got to, we've got to, we've, we've, we've got to give our best. We've, we've got, we've got to, we've got to care for those that are closest to us that they shouldn't just, they shouldn't just get our leftovers, but they should get our top shelf stuff, our best stuff. They, they, should get, they, should get, they should get our first fruits of energy. This is what Jesus is doing in his second cry from the cross that when life hurts, he's caring for his own family. Love is something that you do. Love is not an ethereal, abstract concept that love just, well, it's just out there. No, no, love is an action. Love, I like the, uh, love is, it's a, it's a verb in that sense. It's something that we do. It's a decision, but there's an outcome attached to it because there's an action aligned with it, that, that we do something. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong. In, in, in the middle of Jesus' pain, hanging on the cross, what is Jesus doing? Jesus does two, watch this, two unique things for his natural family, his mom. Number one, let me show you this. Number one, the first is love pays attention. He paid attention to his mom. He paid attention to his natural family. When, when we go through hard times, when we're going through, whether it's physical or emotional or mental, we, we sometimes neglect and we can forget those that are closest to us. Jesus chooses to do just the opposite. I mean, the guy is dying for the sins of the world. It's a big deal. Big deal. And yet, he also recognized that his mom was losing a son. He also recognized the fact that, 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 that as a widower in culture, that, that, that she was going to be alone. And what did he do? He put his eye right on his mom. Right on his mom. He gave her attention and attentiveness. How important it is for us to be attentive to those family members that are close to us. This, I, I want to make a, a, another aside comment that that I think this week it was, it was either Women's Day or a week or there was, there was a celebration. And, and so it's always interesting when I hear the political commentators talk about, about women, they, 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 their, their misperception of true biblical Christianity. Because I, I want to just clear, clear the record here. When you see the ministry of Jesus and you see the Bible, Jesus never depreciated women. Jesus never decried, never, ne never in any level diminished the value and importance of women. He actually did just the opposite. Biblical Christianity lifts women. Biblical Christianity esteems women. This is, this is in the Bible. You, you, you ever hear people in culture today that, well, you know, Christians, you know, and, and they're not liberated. No, 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 no. Get your facts straight. Biblical Christianity liberates women. It doesn't enslave. It liberates. This is the Bible. And, and, and Jesus values. Jesus esteemed. Notice one guy. And there were some ladies that were there at the cross. Number two, love not only pays attention, but love, love provides for needs. Th think about one of the last phrases that he, he says. He says it towards his mom. T tradition tells us that, that Joseph, his earthly stepfather, again, we know that Joseph was not his dad, we know that God the Father was his dad. Isn't that right? But we, we, we know that Mary, though, that, that Jesus really was in Mary's womb. That Mary was impregnated by the, by the Holy Spirit. So we understand that. Well, who was Joseph then? Well, Joseph was his stepfather. Tradition tells us that at this point, Joseph had passed away. So, so Mary's alone. And, and Jesus was concerned. He was concerned because he didn't want his mom, who had no husband, taking care of her. And, and, and he was concerned about her. And so he made provision for her care. John, would you take care of my mom? Love makes provision. Love does something. It does something. There's an action attached to it. Would you, would you take care of her? Jesus knows that, 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 that she's going to be alone. 
She's going to have financial needs. She's going to have security needs, protection. John, I don't want you to forget my mom. Now, I want to say a statement, all right? I want to say a positive esteeming statement, all right? And then I want to bring a clarifying statement. I love the fact that our church is missional. I love the fact that we reach out. I love the fact that we go all over the world. I love the fact that we have 20-something mission trips literally all over the world. We have teams coming and going. I love all of that. But remember this. We don't have to go all the way across the world to love somebody uh, uh, without loving somebody right next to us in our home. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. I'm for that. I'm the pastor. I'm into that. But I think sometimes we forget about those that are, that are right here. Lo- love begins right here. It, it begins right, right, right in the home. So number one, Jesus shows us the value of taking care of our natural family. I do want to say this. My wife, my father-in-law, passed away a couple years ago. He's about, he was 90. And my father-in-law did live in a uh, nursing home and my mother-in-law was alive, but, but I did see my wife really put herself into doing whatever she, she could do to be able to emotionally support and practically at times care for. And, and this is a, this is a thing, developing thing that we, we, we need to be aware of uh, in our nation. And those of you in the healthcare industry understand, people are living longer. And, 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 and so there's an aged population developing in our nation. People are going to be around longer. Not everybody has access maybe to health care at the same level or whatever, but, but, but I think that one of the greatest things that we can do as Christians is, is, is to care for aging parents at the level that we can. I think that's biblical. And all the people getting up in age said, praise God. <laughs> Isn't that right? I, I don't know how that works out. And everybody, it's unique to everybody's particular situation. But I think there's something about, there's something about that. That I think is biblical and right. Number two, I, I must treat believers as my family. Think about it. I must treat my natural family, but I also must treat believers as my family. Now, now let me give you this scenario. This will help everybody out. This will really help. Okay, so we have our natural family. But the Bible, the Bible, not Pastor Steve, not Church of the King membership classes. The Bible talks about the church relationships as being spiritual family. That's the Bible. All right? The Bible talks about a brother in the Lord and a sister. The Bi- that's all biblical language. That's not just church of the king ease. That's Bible. So, so you have the natural family, but you also have your spiritual family. Now, now, there are times, and the ultimate is this, is when your natural family is also Christians and your natural family you also share spiritual family relationship with. But that's not always the case. It's often where you have a natural family and, and then you have a spiritual family and kingdom relationships <clears throat> and they both have importance at their place but, but yet they're, 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 there's, something about, there's something about natural, there's something about spiritual family. And can I tell you something? In Jesus' life, it was very important, his natural mom, but it was very important, his spiritual brother John. Romans chapter 12 verse 10 says this. Be devoted to each other, like I'm talking about, Paul's writing to the church at Rome, he's talking about believers, he says, be devoted to each other like a what? Say it, a loving family. There's the language, biblically. Inclusive language is, 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 is family. We are to love one another. We are to <clears throat> care for one another. 
Can I tell you guys something? And, and I, I was just studying this this week and looking this. This, okay, this is shocking. I want everybody to think about this. This is going to blow you away. Jesus had six brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters. Remember, same mom, different dad. Joseph was their dad. By the way, the Bible says that they didn't believe he was the Messiah till after the resurrection. Remember the book of James I taught this fall? The book of James, James was the half-brother. That James, there's many James in the Bible. There's actually four pronounced James four in, the, in the New Testament. But one of those, James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. We studied that. Now listen to me closely. Six half-brothers and sisters, all right? Hear me, hear me closely. Okay. Where were they when their brother was dying on the cross? Where were they? What's up? Whether they believed he was the Messiah or not, he was still their brother. Let me tell you who was there. John. John. John was there. The only person, male figure, that Jesus had a relationship with, the only one at a friendship level, the only one there was John. He was the only guy in his small group that showed up. There he goes again, pastor talking about small groups. My God, every message, he weaves it in. It's true. Was he in a small group or not? Okay, he was the leader, but he had a group. And he didn't stop after born for this. God bless you. But anyway, so that was cheap. My gosh, that was so cheap. That was cheap. So Jesus... Jesus, thank God. Listen, thank God for natural family. Thank God for those relationships. But, 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 but I'm going to tell you something, and it's a blessing. Don't ever take it for granted if your natural family is also your spiritual family. But more often than not, it's not the case. I, I didn't realize this until a number of years ago. You know, we've got our Little Creek campus here on the North Shore. We have our Gulf Coast campus that's live with us right now in Biloxi. And we have our Metairie campus, online campus, and now our, some campuses in our, in our prisons, our jails. I didn't realize this until a number of years ago, but our Biloxi campus, which will have anywhere between four and 500 people today, well, unless people didn't do their clocks right next weekend. And so... But I didn't realize this, but 50% of our church is military at the Biloxi campus. It's military. Well, where, where from? Keesler Air Force Base? Thousands of people. And you look at the multiple there, how many, you know, husband or wife and the kid. And, and also the, the, CV, the Navy base over there. I didn't realize this until over, over the years. So that, that's a lot. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about somebody in the military. They're away from their natural family, all right? The context of a mom or a dad, because they're, they're moving all over. Two years, three years, one, four. I mean, they're moving all over. And then also there's families in, 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 in our church, the Otindas, for instance. That's a, that's a couple in our church where he was deployed. Now, I want you to think about this. You're away from your natural family, a mom or a dad, siblings. And then in the service one of the spouse, either the husband or wife, you get deployed, now half of that is, is gone. Now, now, let me just tell you something. 
When all you have left is your spiritual family, how many know that's a big deal? All she had for nine months, how many know? Listen to me. It wasn't, she was not a once a monther Church of King attender. Because all she had was the body of Christ and all she had was the people around her on a practical level. Let me tell you something. When all you, when all you have is all, when all you need is all you have and you realize what your need is, I think we don't realize how much we really need people. Let me tell you when you need people, when you need them. And let me tell you what a lot of people do with the body of Christ is they stiff arm because they're busy. They keep everybody at arm's distance and then they go through a crisis and then they get mad at God and the church. Why? Because nobody was there for you, but nobody knew what was going on. John, thank God you're here. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Take care, mom. He's the only one that was there. Thank God John was there. But that's a forged relationship. It takes time to develop that relationship. You, 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 you got to press into that relationship. That's what the body of Christ is about. I understand that we live in a society that's mobile and people's jobs going back and forth. I'm going to just say this. If you're new in our community, don't wait three years right before you get transferred to figure out where your local church is. Because you need people. And thank God if you have a great natural family. But let me tell you something. In the brokenness we live in culture, thank God for spiritual family. And by the way, there's no perfect spiritual family. Somebody's come to our church one time. I'm looking for the perfect church. Don't stop here. <laughs> Don't. Because I'm telling you, I'm going to mess you up somehow. I'm going to do something to disappoint you. I mean, and we're, we're human beings. I mean, I'll do things or something. You'll sit up close. I'll rebaptize you every week. I'll spit on you. I mean, something's going to happen. I'm just telling you, something's going to happen. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, whenever we have the opportunity, Paul says, to help anyone. This is in the Bible. We should do so, but we should give special attention. This is in the scriptures. Special attention to those who belong to the family of believers. Wow. The Bible says that. I appreciate all that we do. I appreciate all the outreach we do. I appreciate all the mission we do. But, the, but, it, but, but we have to be, the, the, the believers in Christ, it's, there's something about that. All right? I've been to, 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 to China, and matter of fact, I've been to China many times. I had the opportunity a number of years ago with my daughter to go to China, and we taught underground church. Underground doesn't mean in caves. It means, it means without the government knowing what's going on, church leaders. It was really cool. My daughter gave the testimony. And, and let, let, me, let me tell you something. When you're, when you're in a country that persecutes Christians, I mean, you know, when you have a brother and sister in Christ, they're very important to you. <laughs> because it's often all, all, all that you have, the preciousness of that relationship. Paul says it this way in Galatians 6, 2, share each other's burdens. What does that mean? Be involved in people's lives, stand with them, love them, care for them. You know, why, why, why I promote small groups? Because let me tell you something. I believe that life change does happen better than circles and than, than just rows. It's hard to get close to people if you're just looking at the back of their head. I got saved in a small group. I got discipled in a small group. I got cared for in a small group. I got discipled in a small group. I came out of the world, and in a small group was my support structure. But on Friday night, when my friends were trying to get me to go do stuff that was ungodly and go crazy, I thank God that I had some, some, some Christian 
people, men and women, that, 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 that we, we had a fresh community where we could stand together and, and enjoy one another and, and eat translucent shrimp at Shoney's together. <laughs> Do they even have Shoney's anymore? I don't know. Is, is that gone? It went to heaven. But anyway, so, so many Christians. We just got raptured. though. We missed it. <laughs> but I, I thank God for my Christian friends. Let me tell you something. Let me press in just a little bit, all right? I love you, all right? That's what you need. Some of you that are still struggling with, with, with sinful patterns, you need some godly men in your life and godly women in your life to care for you, to help you, and to stand with you. How many of y'all appreciate relationships in the body of Christ? I know I do. Let me give you this third and final thing. Here it is. I embrace others' pain even when I'm in pain. If anybody could have felt sorry for themselves and been a victim, it would have been Jesus. I got to tell you this, guys, and I, this is a confession. I don't do pain well, like sickness, and I thank God, God's blessing, health. You know, my wife tries to feed us good, you know, organic, whatever. Thank God I don't, I don't get sick a lot. Now, I, I'll get some pains on, you know, my knee and different things, you know. Matter of fact, I was with this, this guy this week who's 70. He's a mentor of mine, and he's a great Christian leader, and we were together, and I was at a board meeting, and, and he, he said, Steve, he goes, I gotta tell you something. He goes, uh, <clears throat> you know, I went to my 50th high school reunion last year. And he said, when I walked in, it's amazing when I walked in, how many people that I graduated with became pharmacists. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, not really, but everybody there knew everything about medicine. <laughs> so I get it, okay? I, 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 I understand that. But, but, but I got to tell you, I don't do sickness well. I, I don't do pains well. I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, I, I, I can't make it. <laughs> so I don't like that stuff. But I'm going to tell you something. The last thing I want to do if I ever get sick is think about somebody else. It's the last thing I want to do. I just want to curl up and just whatever. Suck my thumb. <laughs> I'm getting real transparent. There's something beautiful. Something biblical. About when somebody's in pain, emotionally, mentally, physically, there's something precious about it. When they don't recoil they don't have a victim mentality, but they, they rise up and they find somebody else that's hurting worse than them and they love them. A number of years ago, actually six, almost seven years ago, uh, two, the spring of 2010, I had uh, a friend. Matter of fact, that, you know, when I do my messages, I, I think through different illustrations because the illustrations are windows that you see into a house. They, they help people understand biblical truth and, and principles. And so about six, years, six weeks ago, I used an illustration with the same gentleman. But as I was putting this message together this week, I thought, you know, there's another story with him that was so powerful. I, I, so I, I, I recognize I've used the same guy in about a, maybe six or eight weeks apart, but it's so powerful because it illustrates this point. His name's Billy Hornsby. I'll never forget in the, in the spring of 2010, I, I was going through probably the roughest time in my life, personally, uh, maybe when I was a kid, I know, but professionally, definitely, uh, when we were building this building. 
And, and this building here, the Little Creek campus, which we, we had to build cash, two-thirds of it, and uh, for lots of reasons, recessions, it was a, this is the longest building project, I think, in the history of American Christianity, I think. <laughs> it, was just, it was just like forever and ever and ever, and for lots of reasons, I don't have time to unpack all that, but it was wearing and tearing me down in a big way. Um, I, I thought if I, if I could somehow... I, I, you know, and I had all kinds of thoughts. I thought, my God, why did I get these people into this? I know this was God. The elders all felt like, but what's going to happen? I just felt this tremendous weight, this tremendous pressure. I just thought, oh my gosh, I think I'm going to lose my mind. Just the weightiness. I, I, I didn't even shake hands for about a year and a half because I couldn't have anybody else tell me, oh, pastor, are we getting into the building anytime soon? I'm like, I'm melting. I want to say, give us 38 million and it'll be real fast. I, that's what I wanted to say. You know. but, but thank God we're in. How many of y'all are grateful that this building can't? Is, thank God. Okay. And then if you're a guest here, I've talked about this before. I mean, I just burned out, man. It was just a lot of pressure. In that moment and in that season, I had a friend of mine, Billy Hornsby, who would be close to 70 now, who was the, the founder of the ARC, ARC, A-R-C, Association of Related Churches, a network. We're a part of a church planning network. And he was coming through town, he and his wife. And he reached out to Jennifer and I and said, I'd like to bring you to lunch. And what I knew about Billy at the time was is that Billy had cancer in all of his body. And he knew what I was going through as a pastor. And, and he was on the way to a conference and we sat down, a little po' boy place somewhere on Highway 59. I can't remember exactly what it was. And, and I'm thinking the whole time, I'm thinking, and here's a guy He's got serious challenges. I mean, serious. He wouldn't let me ask him about how he was doing the whole time. And I understand there's a appropriate transparency. I understand all that. But Billy had so mastered the art of lifting himself and lifting himself in such a way and allowing God to encourage him. He, 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 he learned the secret about getting, he just kept encouraging Jennifer and I. He kept pouring out into us. I remember I'd cry, go back and forth. The Billy says, Steve, God's with you. And, and he'd tell me stories about other churches and pastors and this happened. And, and, and at the end, I remember walking out. Jennifer, I'm like, I was so encouraged. I just love them. And, and, and all the while, and he died, by the way, the following year. All, all the while, he's in heaven rejoicing, part of Hebrews 12. He's part of the cloud of witnesses, trust me. He's part of that crowd. But listen to me closely. Listen to me closely. It's so powerful. He learned a secret. And the secret is that when you're hurting, it doesn't, we're not denying our circumstances, but somehow to be infused with God's power and grace to get us through that is you find somebody that's hurting worse than you. A couple weeks ago, I got a text and a call from uh, somebody in church that is friend, a friend of mine, dear friend of mine, and he said that his daughter wanted to give me something. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, well, let's meet between services. And absolutely. And I said, we're going to be here on Sunday morning. They go to the 9 o'clock service. And I had known the situation. I had been the pastor of uh, both of them. And I had been a pastor for, for a long time of, of their lives. I was intimately aware of 
of the challenges that they had, particularly with a daughter who was, who was severely mentally handicapped, severely. And as a pastor preaching and teaching on the weekend, I, I, I've, I've seen him for years and walked with them, been very close to him um, in ministry and whatnot. And, and, and yet they, they really, and their daughter wanted to give me as the pastor an award, but it wasn't to me, it was to our church. And, I, and, I, and, and for some reason, for some reason that day, it just, when I, when I heard their story afresh, it just, I was just overwhelmed. The lady's name is Anne, and Anne was a single mom for a long time, long time, and she had two kids, and, and her daughter, who was mentally handicapped, she, she'd gone to hospital so many times, she'd been in and out of children's hospital years as a single mom, year after year. And after seven years, she said, it's like one day she looked up and, and she saw all these other families in there. And she saw all these other hurting people in there. And she said, I've got to make a choice. I'm hurting. I, I'm, I'm going through a lot, but so are they. And she felt God inspired her and she felt God spoke to her and she said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help them. I, I'm going to bring Bibles to them. I'm going I'm to bring little gifts to them. And I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to rally people together. And, we're, and, and, and we, can, we can help them. Now, it doesn't deny where she is. It doesn't deny. And, any, and we have precious families in our church that raise special need kids. And I'm going to tell you something. It, it's not like you're in exams, push through, you're going to get through it. It's every day. It's every day. And this little girl, when she came into my office, she gave me this award, and it just hit me. This woman, I thought, Ann, you, you made a choice. I felt so humble. I thought, I'm a pastor. I don't, what problems do I really, I mean, come on. She's for 22 years. This is her reality. This is, some of you are going to go eat lunch. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. You're going to eat lunch, and it's going to be amazing after church, and it's going to be awesome. You bring a special needs child, it's a, it's a challenge. And she gave me this award, the little girl, and it's, it's, it's the heart award for, for you guys. It's for our church. And she says, for your love and kindness to kids like me, Church of the King, and her, her name's Juliana. And, and I, just, I, just, I just started crying. I said, and I said, thank you for not being a victim. You talk about somebody could have been mad at God, mad at life. Thank you for pushing through. Thank you for being an amazing example. Thank you for, you're preaching to me right now. Thank you. Listen to me closely. I'm going to close with this. Listen, when you help somebody else when you're hurting, it doesn't deny your problems. It doesn't even make your problems go away. But let me tell you what it does. It somehow infuses you with God's grace and God's power to move through your problems. Something about that. Uh, matter of fact, let, let's just, I just want to pray right now. It's a sense of Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your grace. God, in your presence and your power. I thank you for Anne. 
And I thank you for many women in our church and many men in our church that, that made, made decisions, strategic decisions at low points in their life where they said, we're, we're, we're not going to be a victim, but we're going to rise up and find somebody hurting worse than us. Jesus, that's what you did. If anybody could have been a victim, it's you. But you cared for your mom. You cared for John. You cared for the criminals next to you. You cared for us. If you're in this place today and you do not know Christ, uh, in just a moment when I release everybody, our altar is going to be open. And we'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We'd love to talk to you about what it means. It's not about joining our church. It's about on a weekend, it's, it's about giving your heart to Christ. If you don't know Christ, please don't leave without talking to somebody up front. Maybe you need prayer because of something you're going through emotionally or maybe in your marriage or physically or financially, and you just you need prayer. We're here for you as well. Here, here's my prayer, and I'm going to pray. Just, just give me 30 seconds. My prayer is that something I may have said today, that God would take a thought, God would take a scripture, God would take an idea, an illustration, that that one thing would lift you and get you through that. That's my prayer. Just like Billy lifted me, that God would lift you to keep going. Holy Spirit, I'm praying right now. I pray by the power of your Spirit. God, I know there's hurting people in here. There's people that are broken and fighting addictions. They're hurting in their lives and their souls. I'm asking Holy Spirit, God, that you would lift us. Give us the grace to lift our eyes up and out to see the awesome, the awesome blessing of God if we'll just look out and look up. Lord, I pray for your people, God. Give us grace. Give us grace to not throw in the towel. Give us grace to keep going, Lord. I bless your people this day in Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we give the Lord a hand clap? Come on, can we do that? We love you guys. God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you.